0: I think that we have to have faith, that we have to understand that there's something being worked, that there's something happening. And I just have to have the faith to keep stepping, especially when I don't want to. I think that's true in life. I think that's true in business.
1: Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, executive coach and author, Stephen McGee. Now, about a month ago, we heard from Stephen on our February edition of Coach's Corner, where John and Stephen answered a couple of your questions. And today, John and I are interviewing Stephen more in depth about his life his success within the investment banking world, and how an injury working out really changed the course of his life. You know, it's stories like this that give ordinary guys like me hope that God can really use us. Here's how John started our conversation with Stephen McGee on today's Eternal Leadership.
2: Today on Eternal Leadership, we have somebody who's become just a great friend and mentor of mine, Stephen McGee. When mm. I was thinking about going into coaching nine months ago, as you know, uh, mm-hmm. there was this one person in town who everybody talked about who's just uh, just a man of God. He's just this accomplished executive and leadership coach, and he didn't really know me. We met once briefly, and I reached out to Stephen, and I, and I called him. I said, would you mind uh, if I come over and just talk to you about what you're doing in your life and meaning and value? and?" Uh, you know what? He, he picked up the phone and he booked a time with me to meet with him that day and we spent two hours wow. together. Wow. And and Steve, that conversation has completely transformed and changed my life. So here's a little bit about Steven. Uh, he's, he's been a leadership coach for the last 25 years. Uh, what he's doing with executives and leaders really across the globe uh, is from a, a different perspective in a way that's so much more powerful and meaningful in people's lives by really linking who they are as a person to their purpose, to their desire, and then converting that toward action to get these incredible results. He's just a master of that. He's a keynote speaker. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's written three books. And by the way, uh, if he wasn't challenged enough, he decided last year to go climb one of the highest mountains in the world, Mount Aconcagua. And he did that with a group of men that uh, there's an incredible film about that. So we'll have to have Stephen share a little bit with that. So, Stephen, welcome to the podcast.
0: It's uh, a real honor and a privilege to be with both you guys today. Thanks for having me. Hmm.
2: Well, Stephen, we always like to start out. I'd love for you to just share a little bit about yourself and your background so people can get to know you before we, we dive into some of just the incredible uh, experiences in your life that I know are going to really equip people.
0: <laughs> well, you know, sure. And, you know, I would—I I guess I would start with the word ordinary, um, meaning that I'm a pretty ordinary guy. I, I grew up with what I would consider to be very humble beginnings, meaning, you know, my mother, you know, reared four kids pretty much on her own, uh my my father was gone from my life for most of my young adulthood and so you know my mom worked as a waitress she got odd jobs you know you know in in terms of having to support this family and so i learned early on about the value of hard work that i could as even as a young man create what i wanted if i wanted to play little league football or i wanted to be on the wrestling team I could go get a paper route. You know, there were things that I could do. I started to see early on in my life that there were things I could do uh, to attain or to to get what I wanted in life. And yet, I had tremendous self-doubt because, you know, I didn't have a dad and I wondered if there was something wrong with me because of that. And and I think that's probably why John and Steve, I got so interested in leadership. Mm. Uh, But there's just a very you know, brief summary, a broad stroke of what uh, my childhood was like and sort of what started to shape who I was as a man.
2: Well, you know, Stephen, when we're young, you know, your father's not there. And you talked about this tremendous self-doubt that you had. These patterns that are created, how we view ourselves, how we think, are just ingrained so deeply in us when we're young, and they totally affect or, or they uh, they they have a definite effect on who we are and how we see the world as we get older. What did you do to either recognize that or overcome that?
0: Well, what I did and it, it was at, at this time in my life, it, it wasn't like I had a lot of guidance for it, but when I even as a young man, I can remember laying in bed at night, you know, feeling this tremendous self-doubt or even kind of a sense of shame like am I going to turn out okay? You know am I am I broken? Am I gonna be okay? Mm-hmm. and And so I started praying very i I can remember praying at the age of six, seven, eight, laying in bed, just asking for God's guidance in my life and to help me to find my way. Now I may not have used those exact words, guys, but it was along that intention. It was me just praying to a higher source, God, to help me with my life. And so I turned to God very early in my life just as, as, as a way of finding my way.
2: Well, you know, you talk about you have a great book called Get Real that I would really encourage people to read. The tagline is a vital breakthrough on your life and leadership. But there's a story in there, Stephen, when you were in third grade and you won this writing contest that for you it seemed to be a life-defining teaching moment. Could you share a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, it it was, you know, a great opportunity, you know, in school to do this essay. And, and as I recall, we could write about just any about anything we really wanted to. And I wrote about vision even at that age, uh, you know, about what's the, the the vision of the future in the United States. And anyway, my my essay did rather well at a local level. You know, it, it won approval, and eventually I was asked to write more and went on to uh, win, you know, throughout the entire country. I won first prize nationally for this writing contest. But the thing about it that shaped me was the principal of the school at that time, you know, came to me, and I thought that it was going to be one of these celebratory conversations like, you know, well done great essay, but instead of that, what it was, was the principal was really questioning me on whether I had written it myself, because I had yeah. used the language in the essay that seemed, you know, that it was beyond my age, uh, hmm. words that I, I shouldn't, you know, have known at that time in my life, and so... Kind of accused me of cheating, (laughs) and it Mm. it it wasn't a very pleasant experience. But I learned early on in life that I had to believe in myself, and that it was up to me to make those decisions, regardless of what other people thought about what I had done or not done.
2: So interesting. You're sitting there. You're you're somebody struggling with self doubt. You start to get these these kudos, and all of a sudden, somebody comes in and just. Attempts to wipe all that away. How did you reconcile that?
0: Well, I reconciled it with my faith because, again, I was praying early on in my life. I was looking to God for for the source of of my inspiration. And so it wasn't, even at that age, it wasn't about what does this principle think? And I'm not going to say it wasn't upsetting to me because it was. It was like, wow, he doesn't believe me. He thinks I cheated. And yet I think as leaders in the world and with most of your listeners, you know, listening in, there's times for each of us where we have to go uh, to that place of inspiration for ourselves and, and how we're relating to uh, the world and what the world thinks of us. And eventually uh, we learn that it's up to us and our relationship with God and with the Lord and how we move forward in our lives from that place. So that was a defining moment for me in that way. So
2: you know, outside does that of, make
0: sense, John?
2: No, it makes sense to me. And oh. I you know, and I'm just thinking, you know, outside of your prayer time, that time alone, was there anything else in your life that either you sought out or that was there that also helped in you know inform you moving forward?
0: Well, as I as I grew, you know, that I began then to start to look out in the world, and I started to look for examples what i would define as leaders or example ship of men especially at this time in my life that were living lives that i thought were you know extraordinary that they were succeeding that you know these were uh, people that were demonstrating who i wanted to become and if there's ever an advantage to an individual a young man like myself that grew up without a father for the most part i had the ability to look in the world and say god i really like this about my wrestling coach like he's just super disciplined and i like the attribute uh, the attribute of being disciplined or this individual is just inspiring just he seems so passionate about what he's doing in his life and i started then to use this for my advancement you know to look mm-hmm. out into the world and pick attributes of different people that i wanted to embody so, you know, it was God first, and then it was it was almost as if God was leading me to say, hey, go look out in the world and look toward the leaders that are doing the kinds of things that you want to do one day.
2: So how did that inform you moving forward as you moved through high school and into college and into what you're doing now?
0: Well, those people, you know, were, were great as mentors, and, and I know you, John, and, and Steve, I'm getting But I suspect both of you guys have had mentors in your life, people that you could go to and ask questions and and say, you know, how did you get where you are? You know, what are the the attributes or or the things that you've worked on to be in this place? And so I think that, you know, having a mentor is a great resource for all of us, regardless of age, in terms of moving forward and progressing.
1: Stephen, when you looking back at your life, you, you struggled so much with self-doubt, you didn't have a father growing up, but you made this conscious decision to seek out leaders and learn from them and really try and improve yourself. Was there a single aha moment or was it a long transition of just retraining your mind because those ingrained thoughts, those habits, those thought patterns, they become such a part of you. How did you change that?
0: Well, uh, Steve, a, a great question and and I'm going to answer it by saying that for me there were iterations of change. And by that I mean that I I had the wit to keep with it and there were times where even in the self-doubt I would make progress and I would have an awareness, I would have an aha, I would go wow, I get it. I could see possibility with this. And that was fantastic. But then I'd go back into the darkness again, and it'd be more shadows and more like, ooh, I'm not quite there yet. But then there'd be another up level from that, another iteration of getting it, of shifting you know, my mind toward this idea of leadership and my heart toward leadership. So it was a long process, but it seemed like every time I needed kind of a victory, it was there for me. Um, but just sticking with it is a big key for me.
1: Steven, what kind of advice can you give to listeners out there that right now they're in a really dark spot? They see just uh, things falling apart around them and they're really doubting themselves. How can they pull themselves out?
0: What a, again, great question. You know, I believe that it's always darkest before the dawn. We've heard that. I believe that there's a breakdown before a breakthrough. And what I say to people is I say, look out in the world at the leaders you are inspired by. And if you look at the life of Jesus Christ, you go, you know what? Did he have dark times? I go, yeah. I think if you look at the time he spent in the desert, that wasn't all rosy. You know, that was pretty dark before the dawn. And, and so I think that we have to have faith. That we have to understand that there's something being worked that there's something happening, and I just have to have the faith to keep stepping, especially when I don't want to. I think that's true in life I think that's true in business
2: so you know as you went out and sought mentors, I know you ended up and you had a very successful career in investment banking uh, talk to us a little bit about that phase of your life and and what that led you to. Uh, any revelations that you had through that?
0: Yeah, well, banking was fantastic for me, you know, because um, I started off with a very, at the time, it was a large bank in Denver, Colorado, and I came up through their management training program. And and while they called it a management training program, to me, it was really about leadership. And I can I can remember being impressed by the CEO of the bank at that time. And thinking, man, one day I want to lead like that. Like one day I want to inspire and change cultures and organizations the way this man is. And so as I started to see that in banking, I started to understand that leadership was so important to anything I would ever do. And coming up through United, it was United Bank of Denver at the time through their management training program, I learned so much about business, but I also learned a lot about leadership. And so that time in my life, it built an infrastructure for who I wanted to be as a business person, and it taught me a lot about how do I deal with the challenges and the the, the tough times that I will deal with as a leader in business. So it was a, it was an incredible opportunity for me to come up through financial industries and financial, uh, services, uh, institutions that were, you know, really having to be progressive to succeed.
2: You know, it- as you were in that environment and you had this tendency to really look at people and look at their attributes and find characteristics that drew you into them, what were some of those attributes of the leaders that were around you at that time that that really stood out to you?
0: Yeah, it's such a, a great question, John. I, I think the first one was integrity. Hmm. And, you know, that was, you know, it was just, a, it was a sense of, of this individual was living what I would call in an integral way and that there was this way that they were being in the world as a leader that felt so solid and truthful and honest. And it was like they were telling the truth as they were leading, but they were doing it in a way where it just came from this deep honesty or this deep confidence that these individuals had. So that, you know, that was one of the first things. And then, you know, from there, I I noticed accountability people that literally just did what they said they were going to do. And if they didn't do what they said they were going to do, they renegotiated it. Like they had this incredible relationship with what they said uh, with their word. And, and, and so I just felt like those were a couple of the things that attributes that I saw in these leaders that I too wanted to learn to master, that I wanted to become better at that myself
2: now, Stephen, what led you to leave that environment where well, you were on track to uh, be CEO of this company? You were having just incredible success and kudos from the business community uh, but you what you ended up going in a different direction
0: yeah, uh, again, a great question i I started to notice that as I grew in my own integrity, as I became you know more adept at living in that way and being more accountable you know, to, to myself and those around me, I started to notice that there were certain parts of the industry that, that didn't live that way, that there was, there was kind of an incongruency with who I was becoming and where the industry was going, and it felt uncomfortable to me. It felt like I was at a time in my life where I was making a choice to go off and do something different, to do something better, to challenge myself once again, which I think, by the way, all of us as leaders do that. We're always looking for ways that we can go outside of our comfort zone so that we can continue to grow and learn. And, and for me, it was, wow, leadership. Again, I mentioned earlier in our conversation here today that if I became a better leader and I created a collaborative leadership model that people could learn, And over time, they could become that, then that's what I wanted to do for my life. That it was, and and again, I felt like this was coming through my prayers. Like it was God saying, This is the work you're going to do. And so I was very comfortable at the bank, to your point. I was on the succession plan for CEO of a large bank. I was learning a lot, but I started to feel like my skin was crawling. And I needed to go do something different. And that's when I started to make the transition.
2: Now, what caused your skin to crawl? Was it, you, you alluded before about this alignment of who you were being a person of integrity and almost the demands or requirements to succeed in the environment that you were in? Is that what you were referring to?
0: Yeah. It just, it felt incongruent. It felt like, you know, sitting in meetings and listening to what people were willing to do to make a deal happen that wasn't completely honest and mm. you know, people using language like manipulate. And I can remember one guy in particular, he looked it up in the dictionary and the, and I still remember the definition, but the definition of manipulate, if you look it up, is something about to skillfully or artfully manage but to me that was just a bunch of nonsense because what we were really doing was we were lying it wasn't manipulation or skillfully and artfully managing anything we were telling lies to make the deal happen and it just didn't sit well with me not not like i'm perfect but that's not the direction i wanted to go
2: don't you think that's the one of the biggest sources of this discontent that we have in our lives, is that the person that we know we are or that we want to become is is not in an alignment at all with what we perceive that we need to do to succeed?
0: I, I really think that's an accurate thing to say. And I think the more we get to know ourselves, the harder it is to lie to ourselves, to kid ourselves, to joke with ourselves, and it just becomes uncomfortable. But Again, I see that as a good thing. I see that as, that's progress. I, mean, I I can't do this this way anymore. I need a change.
2: Now, to kind of switch gears a little bit, I know that 20 years ago, you had a very serious accident, a near-death experience that led to uh, some real financial crisis in your life. Uh, I would love for you to share what happened then, what you learned from that, and how you pulled yourself out of this, really, this very challenging time that you had.
0: Well, <laughs> it was it was a very tough time in my life. I had left the bank for the reasons I just shared with you guys. And man, I was so excited about this new career in leadership development. I was young, I was full of enthusiasm. Well, guess what? I didn't plan very well and what happened essentially is I had let my insurance lapse from the bank to my self-employment because I was starting this new business, this new leadership consultancy. Well, no kidding, 180 days is what you get with Cobra, at least in those days. So on the 181st day, the day after my insurance lapsed, which I hadn't covered it as I mentioned, I am lifting weights in the gym. I was an avid weightlifter and, you know, probably a lot of ego in that, but I was, you know, I was big and I was lifting a couple hours a day and I thought I'd torn a muscle in my bicep, but what I'd really caused was a blood clot in my left bicep. And it swelled up. I mean, I, it was blue and black. And it was, you know, my arms were pretty big in those days anyway, but it was even bigger because of the swelling. So I went to intensive care at Swedish Medical Center in Inglewood, Colorado. And I sat there for a few minutes. The doctor took a look at my arm. He got big eyes. And it was probably another 10 minutes that they had put me into intensive care because they realized very quickly that I had a blood clot and all of us listening probably are aware if you have a blood clot, there's a chance that that clot can break off and it can go to your brain and go to your lung and you know, you can die from that. So fast forward to the point, which is spent eight days in intensive care, thinking about my life, reflecting, praying, just really being terrified come out the other side of that, and I have this huge medical bill, like over $300,000. And it wiped me out financially, and I went through one of the tough, toughest times of my life. I had a medical bankruptcy, and I was broken down. There wasn't any, any of that enthusiasm anymore. It's like, wow, look what happens when you leave, when you leave the company. Mm. Like, there's no one there for me. So it was, a, again, another, it was a defining, <laughs> a real defining moment for me as a man.
2: Well, you know, what I always love to hear about people is their journey. So from that point, Stephen, to today where you're coaching some of the top, I won't drop any names, but some of the tro- top leaders in the world, some of the top companies, Microsoft and other Fortune 50 companies around the globe. What are some of the struggles along the way that you had to get through as you went from where you were to what you've been able to accomplish today?
0: Well, you know, I, I will speak to the struggle, but the the thing that I saw later you know, was I had nothing to lose anymore. It, it was as if, you know, God had said, you have a clean slate. And you don't have to keep up this identity. You don't have to keep up this house and these cars and this second house and this, all these different things that I had going as a banker. And, and so it was like a clean slate to was that really do the you? work. Oh, it was a huge breakthrough for me. It it was like you know really being reborn. It it was like wow, I get to now do whatever I want, however I want it. And and I look at it now in my life, and I go, you know what, man, that was the greatest gift in my life. And of course, at the time I didn't see that. Uh, but then there's just a real. It's a real rebuilding. It's a process of, you know, uh, intention and commitment and accountability, you know, toward the objectives, which was which was to serve people as a consultant through leadership.
2: Now, you've talked about in the past, just, you know, as you're new in this field, you know, some of your credibility and, and you know, why would people listen to you? You're young, you have this new idea. What, was there any turning points or any people that came into your life that just allowed you to just rotate and lift off and just uh, create that velocity that you'd been looking for?
0: Well, there, you know, probably, again, it may not be the exact answer you may be looking for, but I'll tell you when that was, was I was asked to come in and work with the senior management team of a large credit union. And in this particular institution, there there was a top team of 22 individuals, mostly men in this particular case. And of that, of that number of 22, there were six former rear admirals that were in the meeting. In other words, they had done well in the military, and, and now they're working as leaders in this organization. And one of them, he was probably in his 70s. I was in my early 30s. He walked up to me. He looked me square in the eye before we had started the session, and he said, what's a punk like you going to teach me? Wow, And it, it just it rattled me to my core. But again, as leaders, we all know that's a choice point. I can cave right now or I can produce. So take me back and to so that I,
2: moment. How did you rally? Because that, that would shake me too.
0: Well, again, you know, it goes back to my foundation, which I created as a kid which it not about what other people think. It's my relationship with the divine, with God, with the Lord. It's like, that's what it was for me. So I can remember, you know, I went to the restroom and I'm like hiding in a stall saying a prayer. It's like, you know, God help me through this. Help me mm. to shine here in, mm. in your name. Uh, long story short and fast forward, I was in that organization for six years doing work shifted the entire culture toward a more collaborative, result-oriented, inspired uh, you know, organization. And by the way, greater results on the bottom line. But it's those challenges that we get as, as men and women, as leaders, that, that, that we have that opportunity then to shine in.
2: Well, you know, as you took that forward, uh, you know, in your book, Get Real, you talk a lot about not only just getting real with yourself, but as a leader, how do you live on purpose, living intentionally? I'd love for you to talk about, Stephen, you know, what are you doing right now in the field of leadership and really what is setting you apart, you think, from your teaching versus I mean, there was 20,000 books on leadership published just last year, Uh, but what you're teaching is having real results in people's lives.
0: <laughs> so with mine, it's twenty thousand and one books on leadership. Is that what it is? <laughs> no, I, I, I
2: included you in that number.
0: Oh, you did. Okay, yeah. thanks. <laughs> so you know, here's the thing: that the the old model of leadership is bankrupt. It it doesn't serve anymore. Uh, and by that I mean that you know, trying to control the deal, trying to control the organization, trying to control people. That all came from the industrial revolution. It came from the military, you know, and of course, there's a certain way that the military needs to lead, but it doesn't work in organizations. And most of us as leaders, as managers, we learned that style of leadership. And so my work is distinct in the field of leadership, in my view, because I think it's filled with not so much what you're doing, although that's of huge importance, and I'll speak to that in a moment, but who are you being as a person? Who are you being as a leader such that sometimes the greatest thing you could do in a board meeting is listen and not say a word so that your listening creates a presence that people can thrive in. And the, the model most of us learned was that it's all about what we think, that we've got to have the right answer all the time. Well, first of all, there's a ton of pressure in that, and it's not realistic So that's just one distinction that I share with executives and and CEOs and leaders that listening is an attribute that in this new millennium, you want to become a master at. It doesn't mean you won't have something to say and it doesn't mean you won't do some telling, but it means that if you're doing it the way we were leading 25 years ago, you're going to have high attrition, you're going to have people that don't really want to follow you that are not inspired by that leadership as a technique or a way of being. So that's distinct in, in, in some of what I'm doing.
2: Well, you know, in that traditional hierarchical or authoritarian leadership structure, what are some practical differences as, as somebody uh, is becoming a better leader or, or they're being different? What does that look like?
0: Well, you just said it. it. It looks like, see, here's the cool thing about being. And people kind of look at me cross-eyed when I use that language, like being what? I mean, b- being a good listener is a way of being, or being inspiring is a way of being. And guess what? That can shift in a nanosecond. What I, I say, it's like a holy instant. Like, wow, in that moment, I can shift from being pissed off or angry to being loving or being inspiring. And, and that's a nanosecond of time which shifts the entire problem to a solution. So that's practical, but I have to apply it. So it, it, it's like a soft skill that has to be applied. And in my book, Get Real, I write about spirit meets us at the point of action. So what does that mean? It means that... I'm sitting there for a moment, and there's a situation in front of me, and if I'm going to be one way, it's going to go south. And if I'm going to be another way, I have a chance for a solution and have it go north to get the objective met or to get the result I want. And it's in those moments as leaders where we make that choice that it makes a world of difference. Um, Can you guys hear that? Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm.
2: It, you know, it does. So when the leader's in that moment and they have their habits and how they've done things, how do you, when you're working with people, uh, whether it's with a large group or one-on-one, help people to have awareness of that choice that they have in that moment, that application that you speak to?
0: What starts through a conversation where an individual has an insight about him or herself and they, and they say, I want to shift that. You know, I've been leading this way, and a lot of times this will happen for, you know, people when they get at what I call halftime in life, like in their 40s, you know, or their 50s, or maybe even in their 60s. It can work any time when a person has an insight. So you you pointed out perfectly, John, because now there's awareness. But awareness isn't enough. People say awareness is often curative. I go, yeah, sometimes. But awareness plus commitment is curative for sure meaning that now I'm committed. And so then the practicality of my work is go, well, Stephen, how am I going to do that? I've been, I haven't been a good listener for 40 years, and you're saying I need to become a good listener in a moment? I'm saying through practice. But I have ways where, and here's one example, and, and John, I think you and I have talked about this. Like You can scale it out on a scale from 1 to 10 if I want to improve on being a good listener or being inspiring or whatever it is. That, you know, on a scale of one is I didn't listen at all. I already had the answers before I heard anything. The person sitting across from me said that would be a one. Ten would be I was so present with this individual that I could almost hear their thoughts. And then at the end of the day, just rate yourself. You know, where was I on that one to ten scale? Was I closer to one or was I at a ten? And through the awareness and the commitment... A person can shift that and change it no matter how long they've been doing the old habit.
2: You know, I I wish we had another couple hours, Steve, because I would love to have you go through (laughs) not just listening, but uh, maybe you could share. What are the top two or three areas that leaders need to develop a new skill to adapt to a leadership style that is much more effective?
0: Well, this, again, it, it, it's, a, it's one of those where people look at me and go, what, really? Because, see, leadership, what we, what we believe, most of us as leaders believe anyway, is that our job is to continually be looking outside of ourselves to take care of others and, and uh, you know, lead and have the answers. But what I'm seeing is even more effective is when a leader makes a shift, and I'm going to call it intrinsic so it's a shift back to where they're introspective or reflective or contemplative about themselves. And in a way, they're kind of taking care of themselves in a, in a way that they never did before because the energy was always outside of them. They were always looking to fix a problem. They are always looking to change the situation. And it's all day long, every day, 24-7. So the primary shift a leader needs to make is to carve out time for him or herself to introspect and get clear, as they move down the road of life, what they want to shift. And if a person doesn't do that, then we just keep doing the things we've always done, and we've heard that over and over. You always do what you've always done. You always get what you always got. So that's the primary function or a primary shift that a leader, I believe, needs to make to progress. Well, you know,
2: as we bring that focus inside and we're working on those things to shift, how do you make sure that you're shifting things towards spirit? I love what you said, when spirit meets the point of action versus toward ourselves, our ego.
0: Yeah, thank you for asking, because anytime people hear self, they can sometimes go, well, that's selfish. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there's a quiet place inside where I can hear what God is saying to me. And you talk about the greatest listening of all, it's listening to, it's listening to God. So if a person out there is saying, well, I don't need to listen to my staff, I go, what about listening to God? See, there's a ton of hubris in that. And if I have hubris with people in my life about listening, I probably have hubris with God or ego with God. So I want to listen to what God has to say, and I'll get good at it over time. Like, is that God talking to me? Well, there's a quality to the divine that comes through listening to God that I can then apply But if I don't take time to introspect or reflect, I'm not going to know the difference.
2: That's a very meaningful concept, Stephen. You know, as we wrap up here, people are, you know, listening to this, they're driving down the road, they're working out. Uh, What final thoughts would you leave with somebody that you'd like to share today?
0: You know, just that our lives are so precious. Your life, you as a listener, your life is precious and that there's a table of abundance for you that God has given all of us, and that some of us are eating from the corner of the table. And there's so much more for us if we're willing to look up and to see and to ask, to ask for help, to look inside and to be introspective, to understand that we're all made of good stuff, that not one soul will be lost, and that each of us has the opportunity to ask for (laughs) what what we want in life so I would I would leave it with that anything is possible for any of us listening um as a way of being as a leader as a man of God as a woman of God that's what I would leave people with
2: that is awesome Uh, Stephen thank you so much for sharing today that was incredibly valuable to me and I, I know it will be to everybody listening and just want to really thank you for your time for coming on today
0: and john and Stephen and meanness from the bottom of my heart thank you for what you're doing you guys and what you're doing with this podcast is rich and i've listened to a few of the guests i'm going to listen to many more and pass this on to as many people as I can because you guys are doing some real work and your questions are great, man. I mean, there's no way to prepare for this, I'll tell (laughs) you.
1: My favorite part was that Stephen, despite not really having a dad at a very early age, he sought out God's direction in his life. He actively watched male leaders, took character traits that they had and worked on implementing them into his life. Awesome. Retraining and renewing my mind is something I'm actively working on myself. And so we hope that you found this episode as impactful as we did. If you want to learn more about Steven, his executive coaching, his books, etc., just go to eternalleadership.com slash 028. We'll have all those links in our show notes and more eternalleadership.com slash 028. If you're listening on a smartphone, tablet, or computer, just click on the link embedded in this MP3 in the description and information, and it'll take you directly to that page. Thank you to everyone that's been giving us feedback, whether it be through Facebook, Twitter or on LinkedIn, like our private LinkedIn group. If you're interested in joining uh, there, you can interact directly with John, myself and a number of our guests. Just go to LinkedIn and search for eternal leadership. And you'll see the group right there. Special thanks to Justin Jeffrey for his editing and production help. Next time on eternal leadership, New York times, bestselling author and author of the new book procrastinate on purpose. Rory Vaden,
0: you multiply your time by giving yourself the emotional permission to spend time on things today that create more time tomorrow.
1: I'm sure we all need to multiply our time. So this is one you won't want to miss for John Ramstead. I'm Steve Ryder, And thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.